0: I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I am doing very well, Jody. How about yourself? I'm feeling like the Moderna Man Squared, because I got my second shot this morning.
1: Very cool. Oh. Very cool. Congrats. I will be getting mine tomorrow, my second shot. So, we, Yeah. Should be... Nice to get that sort of done with for the time being anyway. So Get it out of the way. That's right. Yes, indeed. Indeed. What are we talking about today? Aside from shots. Besides second shots, we are talking about a subject that is near and dear to my heart. How Mm. to get high gain guitar sounds. Woo! Yes. Can you tell that I'm super pumped here? (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting topic, I think it's one of those things that can really make or break a sound if you don't know how to dial stuff in. And I remember when I started dealing with tone and dialing in tones, I didn't necessarily know in which end to start and trying to just kind of throw everything in the kitchen sink at my guitar to see what stuck. But today we're going to try to clarify some concepts and give some Tips and tricks, hopefully, if you're feeling that this is a little bit of a mysterious process. Mm, Mysterious.
0: Well, what's the first thing in the order of business when it comes to getting
1: a high-gain sound? Well, everything starts with a guitar, right? Mm -hmm. So highly, highly, highly recommend having a humbucking guitar for Maximum output, maximum metal, as it were.
0: <laughs>
1: and for those that don't know what a humbucking pickup is,
0: it is two coils wound side by side in a single casing.
1: Yeah, generally a little hotter output and generally quieter than a single call guitar pickup. So you will avoid some of that nasty 60-cycle hum that you will tend to get. And if you're using a lot of gain and distortion like we're talking about today, that is just obnoxious. It's the enemy. The enemy of great sound is 60-cycle hum. It's the enemy of silence, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah. So the first thing I guess we need to think about once beyond the guitar, and we have that, is what kind of high-gain guitar are we looking for? Because that's a pretty broad spectrum. It can be. Yes, it can. So I'm thinking things from, you know, more of like over-the-top, kind of like a slipknot or a periphery, that kind of like modern metal kind of sound. Sure. All the way through, you know, 80s thrash with like Metallica's Master of Puppets, something like that, or more of just like a straight-ahead, just kind of rock tone, um, like a let's say a Van Halen or a Aussie thing or something of that vein. So we obviously need to define what it is that we're looking for first, but some of these tips will steer you in the ballpark and then season to taste. So,
0: But of course.
1: So if you were going to pick a high gain amp to go with your high gain sound, what would you kind of look for first, Jody? What are some of the amps that you might shoot for given the option? Given the option. One thing that just kind of popped off the top
0: of my head is a Hughes & Kettner. Then there you got the Angles, Soldanos, Mesa Boogie, especially their Rectifier or their Triaxis, Friedman, those kind of things. What about you?
1: Yeah. Today, there are so many great amps out there that do all this kind of stuff. When back in, I would say, sort of early to Mm mid-80s, the best you could sort of hope for would be a modded Marshall or something like that to kind of get you in the ballpark. Because there there's so many options today. There's the diesels, there's the Framus amps, there's the Orange amps, even. Yes. So there, there's a lot of things, and not to forget all the the modded amps that we could have, like you know, a modded 800 Marshall or something like that. So there are lots of choices, but you can't really go wrong with either one. If you have one of those, that's the one you're going to use. You don't have to go and break the bank and. Oh, well, the Solana gives me a little bit of a different sound than my angle, so I'm going to go spend another few thousand on that. If well, that's in your budget, awesome. Yeah. Let's say we're going down the software route. What kind of amp sims would you recommend? Oh, my. There are so
0: many. It's like you can get into amp overload. There's no question about that. It's uh, off the top of the head. You got neural DSP, and then there's bias And STL tones and brainworks and universal audio and studio devil and the line six stuff where you've got the pod farm two and you've got the helix. There's all kinds of amp sims. I mean, everybody, pretty much every amp
1: sim maker makes a high gain amp, is the reality
0: of what it is.
1: Absolutely. And you may not know this about me because I'm pretty quiet about it, mm. but I'm a big fan of the brain work stuff. Yes. <laughs> 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 Understatement of the year. But, no, th- there's a lot of a lot of great options today. And the proverbial feel that we used to talk about, it feels like playing through a real amp. Mm-hmm. I think that is definitely there. And also something, obviously, that both you and I have done for quite a few years. So you, you kind of get used to what it feels like and you're realizing you're not standing in the same room as your amp. You're you're listening to a... Recreation of a mic. Yeah, of, of a mic'd up amp. So... Yes. I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the Angle stuff from Brainworks. I like their Friedman emulation as well. Mm-hmm. I've mentioned about the Neural DSPs, the Soldano, just the last couple of weeks here i think it was one of my friday finds yes lots of great stuff out there there it's almost like an endless search really when, <laughs> to, to find the ultimate one but that that's the one that we do as, that's what we do as guitar players isn't it it's we a, it's a search. constant
0: search and yes and a constant knob twiddling extravaganza and the reality is is it's Not a matter of trying to find a particular boutique amp, although it's a lovely thing to do. Generally speaking, any amp is going to serve the purpose. It's just a matter of whether or not you can dial in the sound the way you prefer.
1: Yeah. And that kind of goes back to our old thing where it's get to know your gear and get the best out of it. And don't just be a preset surfer. Start with you know, the gear that you have and really know it inside out. And if you need to make changes from that, then you do that.
0: What's the best way to say this? The best way to say this is you can't get around spending the actual time with the gear. There's just a certain something of like sitting with something for hours and having either read the manual or not, but twiddling knobs and figuring out what sounds come out of the monster that you're trying to create. That's just yeah. as simple as it is. And I think it was a not a high gain metal dude, but a very well-known and respected guitar player by the name of David Gilmour. Once stated Never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> once stated that he could walk into any store and plug into any amp and fiddle with the knobs for a few minutes and end up sounding like him. And yeah. I believe the same could be said for pretty much any guitar player that has a very distinct quality to their sound, whether it's Van Halen or Ingve or Blackmore or Hendrix or Gilmore or Tobin Abassi, these guys all have a certain DNA to the sound of their playing and it wouldn't technically really matter what amp they plug into. They can mess around on the knobs and the settings for a few minutes and they will dial in exactly what, they need at any given point in time for their sound.
1: Yeah, it's very true. It's, players will always sound like themselves. And I remember a story with, I can't remember the actual player, but he was telling the story where he was really excited getting the opportunity to play through Eddie Van Halen's rig. And he ended up saying, well, I expected to sound like Eddie, but it just sounded like me playing through Eddie Van Halen's rig. So the, the gear has, Important part of it, and it's nice to play with a good tone, but ultimately, it kind of comes from you with your playing style and your picking style, or and your fingers and everything
0: else. So, generally speaking, if you really want to sound like your favorite player, you need to kidnap him, cut his fingers off, and then it- surgically implant them on your hands and hope that they're going to work.
1: <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, it is. At least we can get in the ballpark where if we have an idea of like, I like that sound, I'm going to try to get that. But to sound exactly like somebody else can be very, very difficult and almost inadvisable, I might say, because you, you ultimately you kind of want to try to sound like you, assuming that's a somewhat of, of a positive thing.
0: It's not a somewhat positive thing. It's a very positive thing. You should sound like yourself.
1: Yeah. That's the point. I'm saying like as long as you have – somewhat of a skill level and all that, but that has less to do with your sound and more about your ability on the instrument. So, Sure, sure,
0: sure. And with that, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. And we're back. And right now we're going to dive in to the next step in getting your sound. And that would
1: be... It's before we get to the speaker, which we will obviously be the next logical step, but we're going to talk about Are you going to put anything in front of your amp? Now, we're not talking about, you know, chorusing or any extraneous effect here, but one thing that can be very beneficial when we're going for a high gain tone is to perhaps use a boost pedal or a overdrive pedal, something like that in front of your amp. A popular option is to go with something like a tube screamer.
0: Yes, the infamous... I think it's Tomb Screamer. There is a very interesting reason why a lot of the ultra high gain metal guys tend to use that. What is that
1: reason, Chris? Well, it actually, instead of just adding a whole bunch of distortion that you think it would do in front of the amp, you can use it to just boost a little bit of the signal, but it also has the effect of compressing the low end and tightening up your low end a little bit Mm. that can sometimes get out of hand when you're doing sort of aggressive type of playing. So it's a really, really cool effect. If you find that your amp or your sound gets a little bit too woofy, try perhaps putting a Tube Screamer in front of it and it will tighten up that low end quite nicely. So that's a good trick. I think, well, it sounds like an awesome
0: trick, and the fun thing is is having one in your possession. And if you don't,
1: make sure you go out and get one. I would say don't worry about spending half your mortgage on getting a <laughs> uh, an actual one from, I don't know, what, the 70s or whatever. But, yeah, the, the new offerings, I'm sure, are going to be just fine. But, of course… now where are we at jody we're
0: talking speakers now yes going from the amp head into your speaker cabinet and that's another choice where it becomes what kind of sound do you want to have coming out of your amp head do you want it to have a bigger woofier heavier kind of sound in terms of the low end or do you want it to have a bit more of a cutting dicing slicing kind of sound coming from your amp because the type of sound in that regard will determine what size speaker you want in the cabinets that you're going to get
1: yeah yeah there's a lot of moving parts here isn't there you know from from pickups to amps and everything but we're going to try to get some generalities here but I think you generally want obviously a two inch speaker. So two inch speakers. No, I think you two, mean 12, twelve. I'm sorry, twelve inch speakers. Wow, <laughs> yeah, that, that, two inch speakers. Yeah. That'd be really
0: tiny. That's like going for what is it? That uh, cigar box or the cigarette amps that they make I, out I of cigarette of,
1: containers. Yeah, I was thinking of the the Swedish twelve. That's why I said two. Mm. No, a four by twelve or two by twelve is is generally what you tend to use for like higher gain type of stuff. Sure. So, you know, then we get to, you know, the whole discussion of what kind of speakers are we using? That's a whole nother discussion. Are we using greenbacks? Are we using, you know, 75s? What are we using? Whole other kind of worms right there. But generally, a 4x12 or 2x12 will do you the job. Yes, well. it will.
0: And what I meant when I was talking about with the other speaker sizes, uh, some cabinets come with 10-inch speakers where they're going to be a sure. little bit brighter sounding because they're smaller. They're not going to have as much low end to their output. And then on the other end of the 12-inch side, you have the 15-inch speakers. Although most commonly associated with bass, yeah, they can be used for guitar as well. And they're going to give you a whole lot more grunt on the low end when you're using a 15 inch speaker. That's why I mentioned the speaker size could be important to where you're trying to travel with your
1: tone. No, that's so. very true, very true. But I would say that going for like a four by 12, given the option, that's probably where you want to start anyway, yeah. unless you go going esoteric and, and trying different things. So sure. Very much so. So then next thing, mic choices. Yes. Now it starts getting a little bit more interesting,
0: right? Very much so, because the mic can do a whole lot of difference in terms of voicing the sound that comes off that speaker and comes
1: out your monitors in the control room. Absolutely. So the first one that we, if you only have money for one microphone, get yourself an SM57. The right? traditional sort of like, standby. That is like yeah. the de facto standard. Right. Bit like a tank and you can always make it work, right? That That's your sort of go-to at first. Doesn't mean that that's the only option. Of course, we could have a Sennheiser 421, you know, maybe even an AKG 414. I know you have a couple of other ones that you like to use as well.
0: Well, there's the SM7, which is built off of the concept of the 57 but it's not the 57 then there is the royer 121 although not generally used so much for super high gain situations it is a good all-around microphone for miking cabinets and then yeah. if you want something to get like a little bit more darker off of whatever speaker you're using the 4038 yeah, is a really good mic for that. It provides a lot of low-end thump without being super wooly, I guess is the best way to say it.
1: Yeah, so I don't think you,
0: I've ever used those. I'll have to try those out and experiment with that. Yeah, they're a great mic too. So The next thing, once you have your mic choice, is to position the mic in front of that speaker that you're going ah, to just use. Just throw it in front of it. It'll be
1: fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> Doesn't really matter, right? You just throw it in there and then, yeah, you just go. Start twiddling knobs. No, obviously, mic placement is very important, right? And I like to start placing it all the way up against the grill and right where the cap meets the cone. That's where I like to start, right? I think that's a good sort of certainly starting point. And a lot of times that kind of gets me in what I want. But of course- moving that around is something we should experiment with and, and see what that does to the sound. So maybe this you can- is
0: a good point in time where if you have someone else to help you out, <laughs> yes, it's a good time to have someone else in the studio with you so that they can be there to move the microphone around while you listen to what's coming back at you on your monitor speakers. Because so if you don't, you're going to sit down, You're going to listen, you're going to play, and then you're going to stand up, you're going to go back in the room, you're going to adjust the mic probably one inch maximum in any given direction of where you're going, and then you're going to go back to the control room, sit down, play, listen again, and determine, did I get anywhere close? So the reason why I'm saying this, and Chris is also suggesting it, is that when you go to mic and amp, yes, the mic is important, But even more important than that is the actual location of the mic when you're doing your recording, because minor adjustments of half inch, one inch in any given direction off of that speaker is going to make loads of difference in the EQ, sonically speaking,
1: without you touching a single knob of the sound. Yeah. Absolutely. So it is really, really important to uh, experiment there. And I'm a big believer in that getting it right or as close as you can at the source before you start twiddling with EQs and things, you're saving yourself a whole lot of trouble down the line. Right. Another option, of course, is to use multiple mic setups here. But then we can, you know, if we have like different types of mics to get different tonalities, then we need to start worrying about phasing issues and that kind of thing between the two mics. So I would say if you're sort of new to this process, start with a one mic system and see where that, where that gets you. Right. So that sort of takes care of the beginning part when we're using actual hardware. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to the experimentation here, even if you have a hardware amp and you're going into a load box or something and you might be using IRs, yes. or as you and I tend to do, we're, we're big fans of red wires for experimentation, but the same principles apply here. Now, of course, you have possibly a much bigger mic locker and probably speaker locker at your disposal as well if you're using software. So. Yes, could be time for experimentation, but I would argue that try not to fall down the rabbit hole of feeling that you have to try every possible combination, because chances are you'll you'll never get anything done if it's actually time for tracking, right? (laughs) So um, do the experimentation on your off time. Yeah, then you can write
0: notes and make mental notes and write notes to yourself and. And come back and say, this is going to work. And then you can dial it right up. So
1: Yeah. And then if you have working combinations, you know, just make note of those and keep going back to them. You don't have to start with a clean slate sort of thing. Right. And if you're doing that,
0: it. here's another thing that we really didn't mention and probably should mention. When we're talking hardware amps, when you've got an actual amp and, and cabinet sitting in a room, where yeah. you place it in the room. Can oh, yeah. also make a difference to how that cabinet is going to react and how that mic is going to pick it up. These are all things that need to be considered when you're yeah. chasing that tone. You have to figure out where's the amp sitting in the room? Why am I sitting it there? What kind of things am I hearing when it's coming out of that cabinet? And what kind of things am I hearing from the microphone? Am I hearing too much of the room? Maybe you got to get closer to the cabinet. Am I not hearing enough room? Maybe you should pull it away from the cabinet. These are all things that you need to think about and listen to as you're adjusting and making your adjustments. And there is another famous guitar player by the name of Stephen Lukather, who is one of Chris's favorite guitar players. And he once hired the illustrious Al Schmidt to come to his studio to dial in a guitar sound so that he figured he was going to get the secret eq settings secret compression settings and everything in order to be able to write them down sneakily even though he was coming to steve's studio and be able to recreate that sound every single time and steve was floored by the fact that what al did was walk out into the room figure out where to put the the cabinet, and then figured out where to put the microphone. And then there was no need for EQ. There was no need for the compression and anything else because it just sounded great with where he placed things. So I'm hoping that Lukather actually taped down on the floor and marked it out and measured it and said, this is exactly where it was. So he could put it back at any given time, but who knows? The reality is you have to work on those placements in order to dial in that sound. If you leave it to post, you're going to be spending more time, I think, in post than you would in actual playing.
1: Yeah. And these are tips that are, of course, not just for high gain sounds. So right? this is we're pretty much speaking in generalities here. This goes for whatever kind of tone that you're trying to dial up. So maybe we should start talking about methods of how to start twiddling knobs and how to get the kind of sound that we're, we're sort of talking about here today. Well, what kind of knobs do you want to twiddle? I want to twiddle amp knobs, man. <laughs> amp right. knobs. One thing that people do a lot, I see, when they're dialing up a, a metal kind of sound is that they immediately take the mid knob and just kind of like turn it as far down as it will go. Hmm. So scoop that mid and then boost the highs and boost the low end. and The V curve. Yeah, that can probably sound really cool in the room where you're standing. But as soon as you start adding other instruments around it, you're going to go, hey, where'd my guitar go? (laughs) And just like we we posted on social media account here a while back, in the BrainWorks manual – for the Friedman amp. Mm -hmm. It was the best line ever when it described the mid-range. It says, it's it's neutral when it's at five o'clock, right up, right? You make it lower to scoop out the mids, and then it says, higher levels will make sure that your audience will actually hear the guitar in the mix. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, there's, you know, they're obviously joking there, but that's where a lot of the meat lives in the guitar. So even though we're dealing with like metal type of sounds where we we sort of associate that scooped mid sound, we shouldn't be too afraid of the mid range because that will bring your guitar forward. And it is a good idea to remember that when you're hearing your favorite albums or your favorite guitar tones, you're hearing them in the mix. So you're not hearing that guitar soloed. And sometimes that sound can be not as impressive listening to it by itself because it is very much a layer type of thing. I know, it's so disappointing.
0: It is disappointing. However, it is possible to find multi-tracks of some famous albums. mm -hmm. And when you go to solo out the instrumentation, you might be very well... Unpleasantly surprised is a good way to say it.
1: Yeah, it's sometimes because we, we assume we listen to something in context all the time, whatever that is. But it's when that in solo, and again, we talk about it when we talk about mixing all the time, don't mix in solo mode because you want to listen to it as a whole. And th- that's, that's sort of like the biggest tip I would give players when they dialing in like a high gain sound. The second tip I would give is, yes, you want a certain amount of distortion and gain, but probably a little bit less than you think. I would say go up to your heart's content, max that thing out, and it's going to probably sound like a B depending on the amp that you're using. (laughs) Then start backing that off until you get the feel that you want. But again, the more distortion that you have it's easy to just kind of fuzz out and get lost in the mix. So you're probably going to get away with a little bit less than you think. Would you agree with that, Jody?
0: Yeah, I agree with it. But it might be fair to also think or say that insane amounts of gain can also lead to a lack of definition in the sound. Yes. And in addition to that, often – it's quite possible to run two signals using a guitar splitter, which we hadn't really mentioned up to this point, to run one for the super high gain, massive, over-the-top crunch that you're thinking of, and then a second signal, which is clean. And if you're lacking definition, you're going to mix in some of the actual clean, non-adulterated guitar tone guitar sound, guitar signal to hopefully re-inject
1: some of that definition back in. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. Or maybe even just layering a second guitar with a lot cleaner sound on top of it and just kind of sneak those in there just to get that definition back. But that's a very good point. What I think is important sometimes too with, with the amount of distortion that we're talking about it has a little bit to do with as well your playing style. Yeah, if you because it, it does change the touch and what the feel of the instrument does. The, the, you need to have possibly a certain amount of distortion to get the feel that you want. But you ideally in a recording situation you don't want that to be so off the top that that you said, Judy, you, you lose the definition of what it is that you're doing. Right, because you should and, be able to hear it. That's where you get your tone.
0: In a perfect world, yeah. In a perfect
1: world. In a
0: perfect world, yes.
1: Yeah. Don't be afraid of the mid-range. I tend to do this when I start. I actually showed this on a Tuesday tip not too long ago. But the way I tend to start dialing in tones is I tend to feel like I'm jumping here a little bit, but I do think it's important. When I'm dialing in the amp tone, I tend to start with everything at 12 o'clock as my starting point. And then go from there. With that, we would like to wish you happy high gain hunting.
0: Indeed. Indeed. So that brings us to our little segment called Friday
1: Finds. What have you got for us this week, Chris? Well, we're all about the high gain, right? Right now, yes. I was doing some mixing over the week where I don't think I mentioned this plug-in in in the past, but if I have, I want to bring it up again. It's by TSE Audio, and it's Bass Overdrive. I like to add some bass overdrive to my bass track, oddly enough. (laughs) But um, the reason I like to do that is almost the opposite of what we were talking about definition on guitar tracks here, but it does add some crunch and power to a bass that I like to do in parallel processing there. So TSE Audio, Bass Overdrive, and it's a free plugin. so go check it out. Even better, it's not going to break your bank. Yeah,
0: what do you got for us, Jody? Well, since we're talking guitars, and we're talking distortion and all that, I'm going along the effects route that happens after you do your high-gain distortion, and that is Eventide's UltraTap. And they've got cool. the ultra-tap pedal now that is hardware-based. So when you need serious, I mean serious delay situations to be set up. I Even- don't joke around with yeah, that's my right. delays, man. I need right.
1: serious delays.
0: Serious delays. You're going with the eventide ultra tap. That's that's my pick of this week. Cool. Yes. I like it. I do too. All right. Yeah. (laughs) And with that, while we've got your attention, we do ask that you go and post about our podcast on your favorite audio forum. In addition to that, you can go to the website at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and do a plethora of things, including leaving a review at Podchaser and at Apple Podcasts. Or you could also sign up for the email list, which will automatically enter you into future giveaways, hint, hint, and we'll send you weekly reminders about all the episodes that we've recently done in the past week and keep you abreast of new episodes when they come out. Plus, if you wish to give Chris and I a topic of suggestion to speak upon, you can hit the contact page at the website and send us a suggestion. In addition to that, if you send an email to goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word METAL, without singing it, it is metal, you might get something cool in your inbox right back at you. And with that, we'll say
1: see you later, Chris. Have a good one, Jody.